damn. Damn, damn, damn. damn. I was like, damn, Daniel. <laughs> I was more like, ew, David. Ew, David. <laughs> Ouch, Charlie, that really hurt. <laughs> Charlie bit me. Balls, a supernatural podcast with Lizzie and Missy. Hi, Liz. Hi, Miss. What's up? Happy Fourth of July. Happy Fourth of July. Woo! Our American friends. Mm-hmm. And um, very late, tardy Canadian Independence Day. Oh, shit. We missed it. If we have any Canadian friends. Happy belated Canada Day. Yes. Happy belated Canada Day. Oh, Canada. <laughs> our home and native land. My dad really loves the Canadian National Anthem. Really? Yeah. <laughs> That's about he, as much of it as I know. So. <laughs> oh, well, he learned, I think he might have learned it from hockey. Because obviously oh. when they play up in Canada... Yeah, they'll, they'll sing it, obviously, in addition to, but he knows the whole thing. I just say, oh, Canada, and then I stop. So do you remember this episode when you watched this episode? Yes. I remember it when I read the plot. Ah. And then I was like, ah, oh, yes, this one. Yes. It's a, it's a sad episode, a heavy episode. It's a really sad episode. What episode and obviously, is it, Liz? Like, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so this is Family Remains. And this came out January 15th, 2009, and takes place in Stratton, Nebraska. Oh, Nebraska. Mm-hmm. And it takes place one month after Heaven and Hell. So we've got a one-month time frame to move along. Wow, what did we do in that month? Uh, saving people, hunting things. Just keeping busy? Breaking all the seals. On the road? <laughs> we're not breaking the seals, we're letting the seals break, pretty much. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's what happened. That's exactly it. I wonder how Bobby's vacation was. Oh, yeah. I forgot about that. We didn't get like a, he didn't send a postcard. No, we didn't get to see a slideshow or anything. Mm-hmm. Bobby was, in his banana hammock. Just chilling on a beach. I could picture him the water, having like ass in the sand. a t-shirt line or something. <laughs> would he have a t-shirt line or would he like have like that, like wife beater? No, I think I when, the he, t-shirt. when he would go to the beach, he would already have a t-shirt line. Yeah, I feel or like, like a flannel line. Like it would just be his his forearms. See, I just see him tan. in a white t-shirt, just chilling in a white t-shirt. Or that's his beach. actual chest. <laughs> <laughs> I just hear Bobby in the background going, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> Much appreciated. Hope you enjoyed your stay at the beach, sir. <laughs> I wonder who went with him. Do you think Bobby went alone? Oh, Bobby's got his fair share of ladies. How many Bobby's wives got... did he have? Oh, did he have more than one? Did he? I thought he, well, maybe I'm thinking of his dream sequence. Oh, I don't know. I guess we'll find out. Are you ready for a plot? You look like you're looking that up now. I am. <laughs> I am. And it says so far, just one Karen singer. <gasps> she was a Karen. She was a Karen and the mother to their son, Daniel. I don't think she'd be like that, Karen. She didn't seem like, oh, because I, you know, the whole Ellen thing. Yeah. But I digress. But yeah, let's let's get into a good plot of the episode Family Remains. I was just thinking about Jody. But the way, we got an email from our friend Shauna. Mm-hmm. Shauna says that we spoil a little bit. <laughs> she doesn't mind it. I mean, we I'm do. Try not to, and try I try not to spoil things. It's a difficult line because... I sometimes forget what happened when. Yeah. Yeah. You don't remember the timeline. Like, I know that we're going to meet Jody. Yeah. Sometime. Yeah. And I, I never remember when we meet Donna. I forget that there are people that could possibly be listening to us that haven't watched it yet. So I just spit things out because I'm like, oh, yeah, you know that happened. Well, I mean, hopefully they've at least watched the episode we're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, we're spoiling everything every single time. <laughs> We're spoiling your world. Oh my god, wouldn't that be fun if you were if you just started watching Supernatural and you were watched the episode and then listened to the that would be fun. Just like we do. I wonder if there's people that do that. Are you out there, friends? Hello, hello. Hello. hello, hello. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, okay. So this was written by Jeremy Carver, who goes on to write a couple of good episodes. Creepy episodes. You want a plot? I was thinking yeah. about something. I was, trying, I was, I was like, trying to lead you into. I've, I've been trying to like steer you into the plot, and then we're just getting stuck. So, uh, yeah. I keep having other thoughts, and then I I zoom out. Give us give us a good plot on the episode <laughs> on season four, episode eleven, family remains. Okay. Uh, do you want a plot? Uh, is that, is uh, you that know what? Um, 
What do you is, want to skip it this time? What is a plot? <laughs> I'll do you what one better. Is? Who is a plot? I'll do you one better. Why is a plot? Sorry, Marvel. <laughs> it happens sometimes. Okay. Since the previous episode, Sam and Dean have been hunting nonstop at Dean's insistence. Hey, that's what they've been doing for the month. Oh, see, the plot gave us the answer. I know. If I would just, just read gone him, into it. If I would read the topic sentence. <laughs> see, I was right, though. Saving people hunting things. Yeah. This episode has them investigate a murderous young female spirit inside the walls of a suspected haunted house in Stratton, Nebraska. Complications ensue when a family of five... I read a family of five months. No. Complications ensue when a family of five moves in and the spirit turns uh, out to be two humans, a young pair of sibling feral children who are the product of incest and years of abuse and who are willing to kill to protect their home. The brothers fail to get the family to leave, but when the son is kidnapped through the walls, they look to Sam and Dean to rescue the boy. Dean manages to rescue the son, but is forced to shoot the feral brother dead in self-defense while the father of the family is forced to stab the girl to death to protect his wife and daughter. In the ending, Dean reflects on the children with pity, sympathizing with them on what they had become after a lifetime of abuse because of how he himself had tortured souls in hell after being tortured to the breaking point. He believes that he is even worse than the feral children because they hadn't understood what they were doing and took no pleasure in it, whereas he in hell, having relished the opportunity to inflict pain on others after having endured so much himself. That was a rough plot. Sorry, I apologize. It's okay. I drank a lot last night. <laughs> I have a headache. And I'm hot because of the car. I don't know. There's a lot going on right now. I drank a lot of tequila and apparently I'm planning a trip to Vegas. So that was my night. I think my problem was it was mojito beer. Ooh. But I, I mean, feel... that sounds good. Was it? Oh, it was delicious. Like sea salt lime? It was. Yeah, there was lime in it. It was definitely lime. And it was fantastic. But I think... When I drink I like lime, had that beer. like beer with lime in it, like I get like a headache the next day, like a bad headache. Like that, I used to drink that Bud Light lime shit all the time. Mm-hmm. And I was like, this stuff's so good. But every time I just have a horrible headache. I wonder if it's like the all natural lime and like any kind of additives. I know that you get like really bad hangovers from like a lot of sugar. Yeah. So if the beer itself has added sugar, that's going to lead you to a headache. Future side note to anyone out there drinking in our community safely and responsibly, uh, the higher the sugar content, the worse the hangover is going to be for you. Well, that's good to know. Yeah, that's one of the reasons, one of the reasons that and tannins in wine, why wine will give you kind of like a shit hangover too. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the sugar will give you like really bad headaches, upset your stomach. Yeah, I just probably also because I went to bed at like two o'clock in the morning and I'm don't do that so Ooh, yeah no I did the same well, thing that's a lie I do that like on work days <laughs> but then not I wake up fine not on, not on, not weekends. on weekends no weekends is like you know 10 o'clock and I'm out it's just and that's supposed to be the opposite yeah you would think but I can never go to sleep on a work day then there's me who's like yeah I got home last night and I went went out we went to the bars we closed them down I got some chicken nuggies at 2 30 a.m <laughs> But when we were out, uh, when my Colossal Con group was out Saturday, not this Saturday, but last Saturday, and we went to Tiki and met, um, met like a championship rugby team and a bunch of other random stuff. We all wanted pizza, which I don't know if anyone's ever been to the South Side. Have you been to the South Side like at a close? Uh, yeah. Okay. Do you know how difficult it is to get a piece of pizza at like two in the morning after everything's closed and just the pizza places are open? Is Vesuvio still open? So we passed three. We're heading for Sal's. Okay. And there was just lines oh, pulling yeah. out onto the street. So we obviously nixed the pizza plan by the time we got to the car. And that's how we ended up at McDonald's. And I was like, oh, I just want some chicken nuggies. <laughs> and I looked at uh, my one friend who was ordering. And I was like, can I get some chicken nuggies and a small fry? And she goes, why don't you just get the BTS meal? And I was like, why don't I get the BTS meal? Did you, you get the I BTS meal? fucking did, which I don't know why I never did, because I love K-pop. And I like BTS, not my favorite K-pop group, but I like them. And let me tell you, those dunking sauces. Yeah. Oh, so good. That sweet chili and that Cajun. Mm. Aubrey gets the BTS meal. But she doesn't doesn't eat the sauces. She eats ketchup. Oh, well, why does she get the BTS meal then? Because it's a BTS meal. Okay. I was like, I can get you a Do you have any extra sauces, by the way? My brother will take them. (laughs) Because I brought it up. I was like, yeah, I got a BTS meal. And he goes, yeah, you have any extra sauces? And I was like, damn, is there like a black market for the BTS? Apparently. 
I'll make sure I save some extra next time. Damn. All the saucies. All the saucies. Um, uh, speaking of saucy, how about some saucy incest? <laughs> <laughs> to segue back to this episode. Oh my god. <laughs> That's so gross. But that is what happens a lot with like inbreeding, not to be rude. Because you think about a lot of like overbred and inbred dogs. There's always higher chances for like issues yeah and neglect um but also were you also kind of curious how sam was sleeping in the back of the impala i thought it was funny that he was sleeping back there after dean and anna just you know i guess it was a month later but still Uh, yeah do you think dean cleaned it no oh god no i don't (laughs) oh oh god sam 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 might have cleaned it I, I hope he did. I hope he went in with some Lysol in there. Clorox wipes. God damn. Wipe it down the fuck out of it. Like, burn it. <laughs> you can't burn it. <laughs> oh. Yeah, but how did, he, how did he fit back there? That's what I mean. Like, there's no way. He had to have, like, his knees up or something. Had to. Sleeping on his side. Fetal position. Yeah. It's the only way I'll fit back here. With his knees, like, in between the two front seats. Yeah. <laughs> right in the console. Wait, is the front a bench seat? No. It's not. It's split. Isn't there like a center, like a console type? 67 Chevy Impala. You think we would know these things? Uh, interior. But now I'm just making a second guess ourselves. I, that's the thing. Like, I feel like I know. <laughs> yeah, because that's where the, the shift and everything is. Like I'm looking at it right now. There's a panel that runs along center. So there's a split in the front seat. Yeah, because that's where obviously the shift gear is. The, and then the knobbies are above it. And let's see, this isn't the... Hold on. Let's get to one that actually looks like the interior of the Impala. Because I'm not sending you a blue interior of an Impala. That's just a lie. Supernatural Impala, big block. It doesn't have a... They have a um, three on the tree, I thought. Or is it an automatic? It's on the, the steering wheel, I thought. Dean's driving an automatic? <laughs> have I been watching this the whole time? Thinking Dean well, can it, drive it a... Could be, it could be a... Manual? It could be a three on the tree, but that's, that's a, supposedly the inside of the Supernatural Impala. Oh, yeah, I guess they do have a bench seat. Wow, that's weird. Because if you look, there's like right in that centerpiece should be where obviously that break is. Yeah, yeah, I see, other one, I see other ones that are like that. But Yeah. Ew, so that means that they could be like canoodling in the front seat the entire time. Ooh. I mean, it makes sense. You think about it if they're both sleeping in the Impala. Yeah. They have two bench seats, I guess. Supernatural Impala is a big block powered demon hunter. You're right. <laughs> You're right. Now, wait, let me go back to that picture. Is there a clutch? Oh, yeah, this is this is the picture of Dean getting out of the Impala. Yeah, this is the bench seat in the front. I think it is an automatic. Damn, I had such high hopes for Dean. I really thought he could drive a manual. Well, I mean, Dean didn't pick the car. Hmm. I mean, tech... Well, yeah, okay, I don't... <laughs> hmm. <laughs> uh, I catch myself. No, we already watched that episode. Did we? Thank yeah. God. Remember when they go back in time? Yep. So Dean already picked the car, essentially. Yeah. He convinced his daddy to go pick that car. True. Yeah, that was epi- the third episode of the season. Because yep. mom's a babe. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I just read in my notes, too. <laughs> <laughs> Things I remember. John not getting a minivan and Dean just thinking his mom's a babe. <laughs> Gross. It wasn't a minivan. It was a Volkswagen. Whatever. It was still a van. It was a bus. Whatever. <laughs> He didn't get it. Thank God. Okay, let's get back to this. Speaking of the car, can we talk <laughs> about how they like at this point you have to know you're not dealing with ghosts when your tires are slashed. Yeah. Or when she steps in the salt circle. That's true. Well that that just makes you I don't know. That was unnerving. Dean's looking at her and they're like they're like, Oh, I thought she couldn't do that. And he's like, She's not a ghost. <laughs> that <laughs> moment ah! I'm just like, Oh shit, we were wrong. She's a person. <sighs> run, run, run. <laughs> Which at that point, like, with the poker, <laughs> is it? I guess it's more scary oh, that yeah. she's not a ghost. Like, well, yeah, ghosts he can deal with. Humans obviously are his weakness, especially when they're feral children trying to attack you. How do you lose your kid? Like, they don't notice Danny's gone until they regroup, and they're like, "Where's Danny?" Well, I think they all they all spread oh, out they the high. Split. Mm. See, but you think he would have went with an adult? Yeah, you know. That was probably Uncle Ted was probably supposed to watch him. Yeah. I mean, R.I.P. Uncle Ted. Oh, shit. Yeah. Bye, Ted. Mm. This is just really sad. This is just a really sad episode. 
was sad. I mean, especially like when you start reading the diary. Yeah. And everything that happened. And the fact that he kept kept them in the basement and there was like a hole to feed them and Yeah, like if you don't want your if you don't want kids, just Yeah. Send them to adoption. Don't put them in a basement and turn them into feral albino babies. And I can't tell if it's because he hated the kids. I mean he he's half the cause there. Yeah. He's the one that raped Twice. Rebecca, his daughter, <laughs> and then essentially was also the reason that she trigger warning killed herself. Yeah. I wonder so, like, did he did he take it out on the kids because he blamed them for Rebecca's death? Or did he like feel gross about it? Yeah. I don't know. I wanna know where these houses are built that have all these rooms in between or all the room in between the walls. Old houses. Like, that's a lot of space um, for you to be traveling through. Anything that is like a, that could potentially have been like a bootlegging house or part of the Underground Railroad would have a lot of stuff like that. Um, because when I was at um, the Seelbach Hotel in Louisville, Al Capone actually built a tunnel like within the walls. So he had like a, an opulent little dining room area that had like a two-way mirror where he could go in and like watch people. And then he had a secret doorway where he could escape in case the seal block ever got raided. So like a lot of bootleggers had a lot of holes in the walls to hide their bootleggings and to get in and out in case police raided the area. That's crazy though. Yeah. That there's That's a lot much... of dedication. Yeah. <laughs> and if you have to do it after the, the building is already built, like. And that's what a lot of them did. Cause I mean, nobody's like building a house to bootleg. They just decide that they're going to use a house to bootleg. Well, if you were building a murder castle, then well, you would obviously have that in your plans. Yes. So you have to, <laughs> you know, kill everybody that's seen the plans so they don't know the plans. Because they're like, why is there so much room in between these walls? <laughs> this, this room isn't on the map. <laughs> don't worry about it. Why do you have chutes going to the basement? I don't understand. Do we ever... Why do you think the kids took Danny? Uh... I don't know because I was always curious about that like he was nice to her and they were afraid that he would leave yeah so they kidnapped him you think that was it I guess I mean I don't think they were gonna hurt him no because he was very nice he was very sweet I mean although they did tie him up how did they learn how to do that I mean they've spent how many years here just watching things and I don't think is this the first family to come since Bill I don't know I don't think they say that if they did, I didn't pay attention. I mean, that being said, we, for all we know, we could have seen, they could have seen Bill do all of this stuff. Yeah, true. She went to town on that rat, though. Yeah, she did. And the kid was like, Danny was like, no, no, I don't want your rat. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I had dinner. Yeah. I had a late dinner, actually. She's like, you really just don't want to eat it? No. No, I'm good. Thanks. Also, I don't know. So the ball thing, I mm, I don't like rolling balls out of nowhere. <laughs> it always creeps me out, especially if you roll it back and it rolls back at you. That's yeah. usually when I just bounce. And then they throw it at you. Yeah, I'm gone. I'm way gone. I saw that at Transalgain Lunatic Asylum. There's a little girl who likes to play with balls. No, I'm out. I don't want it. And goodbye. At this point, I would rather have asbestos in my walls. <laughs> but props to Sam and Dean for coming up with the ingenuity to be building inspectors. Yeah. And being like, you know what? Uh, this is a really, really old house. We got to check for asbestos. Totally believable. Yeah. Gas leak in case you're noticing anything weird. Totally believable. Like you get it. That's why, that's why Sam was sleeping. He was using his noggin on that one. And Ted went ruined it. He's like, I got built enough houses. There's nothing wrong with this house. Meanwhile, fucking uncle Ted. Ugh. It's fine. Let's just move in. It's fine. Okay. We're fine. Everything's Uncle fine. Ted, see how far that got you. Yeah, really. Come on. I like the way this episode was shot. Yeah. It I was, very it was really cool. Um, well, it was directed by Phil Skrgicia? Skrgicia? Skrgicia. I remember Scre- I had to say his name before and I had uh, to look it up. <laughs> uh, I like his way of filming. Yeah. It was cool because when they were going through the house, it was like you were a camera in the corner like mm-hmm. looking down on them. And then all the like pan shots were like you were kind of like in the weeds, you know, like it was almost them. as if you were the kids. Yeah. Yeah. I liked it from their perspective. Yeah. 
but I don't know. This episode made me kind of sad. It was sad. Then we find out again, that it's not a real monster. They're just people. Yeah. Product of their own raising that they had no control over. It's sad. Then we Dean tells Sam that he liked torturing souls in hell. I have to give Dean some credit because every episode he gives Sam a little bit more of a nugget of hell. Mm-hmm. And Dean and Sam's just over here like I'm not gonna fucking tell you anything. He gives him a little uh, chicken nuggy. Yeah, like he gives him a chicken nugget. nuggy, and Sam's like, "Thank you." And you would think that in return, Sam would give Dean a little chicken nuggy. You almost forget all this shit happens with uh, Ruby, Ruby because he doesn't say anything. No, and when he's with Dean, he's fine. Yeah. <sighs> Fucking Bruby. I hate her. She's the worst. Um, okay, so anything else about this episode? I don't think so. I think we covered it, besides the fact that now I'm sad. Yep. <laughs> I'm gonna go get some chicken nuggies later. Be a BTS meal. I need chicken nuggies to, help, need me, a- to help me through this. Yeah. We're so sad. Pour a chicken nuggie out for my homie in the wall. <laughs> you need two. I do. Oh, yeah, I know, two, I know. Two nuggies. Oh, my goodness. You want to jump into the bits? Yes. Let's dive on into the tittles. <laughs> I, had vis- I had a visual of, like... Of the tittles? <laughs> diving <laughs> right in... Swan diving into the tittles. Right in between. The high weeds of the tittles. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay, so... Uh, a sign near where the Winchesters are parked at the beginning of the episode says, no hunting. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Sam and Dean introduced themselves to the family as Stanwick and, uh, I want to say Babar. Baber? Babar? Two names from the 1985 Chevy Chase film Fletch. Stanwick was the main antagonist in Babar, Babar, whatever, was Fletch's, one of Fletch's aliases. Clearly, I haven't seen that movie, or I would know how to pronounce it. Uh, it's been a long time. Dean previously used the alias Alan Stanwyck in season two, episode four, Children Shouldn't Play With Dead Things. Ooh, another child episode. <laughs> one. This is one out of six episodes in the series where the villains are human. Uh, the first was season one, episode 15, The Benders. The second was season two, episode seven, Usual Suspects. Uh, and the rest will come later because I don't want to spoil and tell you where they are. Yes. <laughs> uh, although I am going to, I'm going to ruin it right now. There's a little foreshadowing in this episode. Uh, young Danny asks Dean and Sam if they, what they do is like Scooby-Doo. Scooby-Doo mysteries are noted for the monster turning out to be human, as in the case with the monster in this episode. In a later season, the brothers and Cass have a run-in with the Scooby gang. Let's also not forget Dean's weird but endearing <laughs> obsession with Scooby-Doo and Saturday morning cartoons because this is not the first, second, or third time he has mentioned Scooby-Doo in some way, shape, or form. Yeah. And obviously, uh, with Yellow Fever, when he jumps up into the arms, that is a straight out of Scooby. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's such a Scooby move. So when they mentioned this, I was just like, I fangirled a little bit. I was just like, ah! I think Dean got a little excited, too. Oh, for sure. Yeah. <laughs> and you saw that little smirk when he's just like, hmm. He's he like, yeah. me to Scooby. Awesome. Uh, the house located in Surrey, British Columbia, Canada, is also the set of the infamous X-Files home episode in which inbreeding and feral humans are also a major plot point. Karen Canoval appeared in the home episode as the matriarch and in this episode as a former house cleaner. So the lady they get the pictures from was the mom in the X-Files episode. Creepy. Creepy Karen. Creepy Karen. Ah! Uh, Dean says it's not just a girl it's a psycho Nell I'm telling you man humans Nell was an eponymous character in a 1994 movie played by Jodie Foster who was raised in a backwoods isolation Uh, Dean says I wish you'd found a howitzer a howitzer is a piece of artillery used to propel projectiles at relatively high trajectories do you like all those big words I got out there? That, you are very technical today, and I appreciate yes. it. Look at you go. You <laughs> woke up and had your Wheaties. I did not. Did not. <laughs> In an interview with Sci-Fi Magazine, Kripke said, you know, we want to make an episode like the X-Files home. Wow. Way to be original, Eric. Uh, I mean, I feel <laughs> like this is this whole series is just like a nod to a bunch of Sci-Fi supernatural pop culture references. That's, that's true. 
Uh, he said, let's make an episode that the network will air once and then the people will complain so much they'll never air it again. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> a weird thing to strive for. Well then. Sure. Oh, this is, sorry, this is a double tiddly bit. It was about Karen again. Karen. It got buried in there. Uh, okay, and I'm going to go into a, a two different things. So Dean says um, something, it was ripped from the Austrian headlines, and I didn't know what he was talking about. But he was referring to the 2008 case of Joseph Fritzl, who held his daughter captive in a secret corridor in his basement for 24 years. Jeez. 24 years. Have you heard about this? I want to say yes, but at the same time, I don't think so. Okay, here's a, here's a trigger warning right now. Uh, he raped his daughter, which led to the birth of seven children. Seven. seven children. Three of them remained in captivity with their mother in the basement. And uh, one had died just days after birth. And then um, the other three were brought up by Fritzl and his wife. After he said they appeared on his doorstep and they were foundlings. So they adopted them. Ugh. What the fuck? Uh, so this guy, if you couldn't tell, this guy was Looney Tunes. Yeah, obviously. Uh, he didn't have a great relationship with his mom. He was actually afraid of her when he was little. But in 1999, 1999 1959, after Fritzl had married uh, his wife, Rosemary, he, uh, his mom moved in with them. So over time, though, their roles reversed and his mom became like ended up fearing him. So eventually he admitted like later in life that he locked his mom in the attic and bricked up her window and he told all the neighbors that she died but yeah he kept her locked up until her death in 1980 so she was locked in the attic for 20 years i mm, mm, mm. so this is the thing he locks his mom in the attic right yeah what's what's rosemary doing is he just telling like rosemary like we can't go to the attic anymore it's out of commission. Like the addict's haunted. Sorry, can't go there anymore. So if, if that wasn't enough, he had a criminal record, clearly. Oh, shocked. I'm uh, shocked. In 1967, Fritzl broke into the uh, home of the Linz family. It, it was a 24-year-old nurse while her husband was away. And he, trigger warning, uh, he raped her while holding a knife to her throat and threatened to kill her if she screamed. And according to an annual report in 1967 and a press release the same year, he was also named as a suspect in a case of attempted rape of a 21-year-old woman uh, known for indecent exposure. So he was arrested and he served 12 months out of an 18-month prison sentence. And according to Austrian law, his criminal record was expunged after 15 years. I'm sorry. And at no point did somebody go, yeah, it's okay. This man has a child. He had uh, like four or five kids. They let him have that. Mm. Well, he had four or five like kids, like with his wife. Okay. Well, still, like he shouldn't be around kids with that kind of a record. So, but so after fifteen years, it was expunged. So, as a result, more than twenty-five years later, when he applied to adopt or foster Elizabeth, who was his daughter that he had in the basement, when he went to adopt her children, the local social service authorities did not discover his criminal history because it was wiped clean. Oh. Yeah, God. like that. Um, that makes me so mad at the justice system right there. <laughs> this is the Austrian justice system. Oh, come on. So on uh, March 19th, 2009, it, it, she got out of the basement. That's another thing. Rosemary, you can't go to the basement now either because I have her daughter locked down there for 24 yeah, years. Has, this man has no place to store anything. He yeah. has to get a storage unit. Rosemary, you're just you're on this level and that's the only place you can go. But he would go down in the basement and spend time with her and the, kid, and the three kids that were locked down there. What the hell? I don't, I don't know what, what Rosemary was doing. Anyway, so on March 19th, 2009, Fritzl was sentenced to a life in imprisonment without the possibility of parole for 15 years. He said that he accepted the sentence and would not appeal. He's currently serving out his sentence in Garston Abbey, which is a former monastery in Upper Austria that has been converted into a prison. It's, what is a Rosemary? Like, come on. What's she doing? It's clearly nothing. Uh, so this is a total opposite direction. Uh, when the girl in this episode had her hand down and she thought she was petting, the dog was licking her hand. <gasps> and then the dog walked in That's the door. That's straight out of a, uh, an urban legend. It is. And I'm going to tell you about it. Oh, good. 
Because as soon as you mentioned that, I was like, it's probably in your title bit, so I'm not going to say anything, but... <laughs> the licked hand, as it's known, is an... <laughs> so gross. is an urban legend where a girl goes to sleep with her dog next to her. During the night, she wakes to a noise, but is comforted when her dog licks her hand. In the morning, she wakes to find the dog dead, and then, oh, trigger warning, dog dead, sorry. Uh, in note saying, humans can lick too. <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. Oh, uh, no. Oh, no, 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 no. No, no, no. <laughs> in the humans can lick two version, the dog is often discovered hanging in the bathroom. <laughs> and the blood from, oh, sorry, trigger. The blood from its slashed throat is dripping on the tiles, and that's the dripping noise uh, that she woke up to in the night. Gross. That's, mm. uh, I've also heard the one, is it the same one about the roommate? Yeah, this is it's the hook man. That's like a Okay, uh, aren't you glad you didn't? Yeah, aren't you glad you did? Yeah, I'm going to talk about that too. Okay. Uh, but proving that even modern legends can have much older roots, the licked hand motif shows up in a August 11th, 1871 diary entry penned in England uh, by a Dearman Birchall. This is what Dearman says. Croquet party. Who doesn't love a good croquet Classic party? Classic croquet party. You know who doesn't? Or who does? The Queen of Hearts. <laughs> One of the guests told of a clergyman who was aroused in the middle of the night by his wife, who said, John, dear, I'm sure there is a robber under the bed. I hear him moving. Do get up and see. So polite. Me. John, <laughs> I would literally shove a man off a bed and be like, look under the bed. John, dear, <laughs> please get up. If I hear a scream, I'm fucking running. John replied, oh, it's only the Newfoundland dog. I just put my hand and he licked it. The next morning, all the jewelry and many other effects had disappeared. I mean, if I just have to, like, lick a hand once to steal all their jewels, like, okay, sure. (laughs) And this is in the 1870s. I'm sure that hand was not clean. God, no. Though in this 19th century version, the grizzly murder is missing. Once again, the lurking miscreants escaped detection by pretending to be a dog by licking the suspicious party's hand and thus providing reassurance that all is well. The legend is a hair-raising cautionary tale about the dangers of living away from home, and it plays upon our fears of the murdering madman turning up in our bedrooms one night. We fear becoming the victims of random violence, and we fear being vulnerable in an unsafe world. The more unsafe we perceive the world around us to be, the more tales like this get told. And like you said, this is also similar to Aren't You Glad You Didn't Turn On The Light, where it's usually like in a college dorm and the one girl goes in and she thinks that her friend is, you know, canoodling and doesn't want to turn on the light to bother anybody. And then when she wakes up in the next morning, her roommate's dead and it's written on the wall. Aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? I feel like that's why you need as like a good roommate friend, like situation, a safe word. Yeah. We're like, oh, okay. I think you're getting freaky. That's cool. But if you were like guava, I'd be like, oh shit. Croquet. <laughs> yeah. Like something. <laughs> Quiche. I don't know, like, I can turn on the light and be like, oh, I'm going to save you from this mass murderer, but if, like, if you don't say it, I'm just going to let you go for it. Like, Chicken nuggy! Chicken nuggy! Uh, but we we saw that urban legend already in season one, episode seven, Hookman. Yes. That is all I got for you today. All right. Well, I'm going to lighten us up a little bit in between. Um, oh, with a my, <laughs> my stuff wasn't fun. That's okay. Mine's going to be a little dark, too. <laughs> okay, so what do you call a typo on a headstone? Wait, I wait, I know that. <laughs> I don't know it now. A grave mistake. Did I tell you that? <laughs> I don't know. My friend just posted it. I okay. Sent, I sent that to somebody. So obviously we're dealing with humans in this. Um, I decided to go along the lines of a true crime. I love true crime. Uh, and this is the story of the boy in the walls. Ooh. Uh, so I don't know if you ever heard of Daniel LaPlante. I have not. All right. Daniel LaPlante was born May 16th, 1970 in Townsend, uh, Massachusetts, which is part of Middlesex County. Um, His childhood is really dark. So this is going to be a lot of trigger warnings later on uh, dealing with any kind of like sexual abuse and rape and murder, murder, murder. So he mainly grew up with a stepfather. However, before he got a stepfather, he was sexually abused by his father and then the father disappeared and then the stepfather stepped in who also physically abused him. Oh, come on. Uh, so he grew up living with his mother, Elaine, stepfather, David Moore, and two brothers, Stephen and Matthew. 
And during childhood, the house was overrun with stray animals and just junk. They were hoarders. They didn't clean very well. Daniel was known for not having very good hygiene at school. He was Mm. known kind of look greasy and kept. He struggled with dyslexia and was labeled creepy and weird by classmates. Oh, Uh, which led to him being referred to a psychiatrist by school officials due to trouble and struggling in school. During that time with the psychiatrist, he was diagnosed with hyperactivity disorder, but he was also eventually sexually abused by the psychiatrist. After that time, he began struggling with himself. He began to break into homes, dealing with some petty theft, very rarely getting caught, but occasionally getting caught. But his favorite thing to do was not necessarily to steal from people. He really liked going in and just moving stuff to unsettle people in the houses to let you know somebody was in there just to mess with you yeah so like you'd go in and like your chairs would be in a different place stuff would be moved i mean in my mind i'd be like oh my god i'm haunted yeah exactly i would be like somebody broke into my house and can see me i'd be like fucking ghost move my keys again we have a poltergeist um so at the age of 16 he actually they believe that he broke into a house and was able to get saw a girl in a picture and decided like to be upset like he became obsessed with this girl Um, and he actually ended up getting the number of the house to call the girl and this was in 1986 so the girl's name is annie andrews she was 15 years old so he was 16 when this happened she was 15 uh, and she had actually just recently lost her mother to cancer so she and her brother her sister were struggling with that Um, Her sister Jessica was eight years old and her father, Brian Andrews, actually picked up more time at work to try and help stabilize the family and also becoming a new solo father was trying to raise his two girls the best he could. And they lived in a neighboring town of Pepperell, Massachusetts. Um, And supposedly one night the girls actually performed a seance. Oh my God. To contact their mother. I mean, good intentions, but come on kids. Yeah. Right. So what ended up happening is Daniel called the house and got a hold of Annie and told Annie that he was at the same school as her and actually got the, her number from another kid at school. And she was really excited. She didn't really necessarily know everybody, so she kind of just took it as the same. Uh, Daniel actually kind of asked her out on a date, and he described himself as tall, blonde, like good-looking. Come on, Danny. Everything that he actually was not. Yeah. And he also said that he was athletic and smart without being like, I'm very, very, very good looking. (laughs) Um, And Annie agreed to go on a date with him. And he actually showed up and she answered the door and was completely taken back by like this person who was like, I'm Danny. No, you're not. He was not tall. He was not blonde. He was not athletic. He was five foot eight, which is okay for like a 16 year old. That's pretty normal. Um, But he was greasy, dark haired. He was heavy. He was very unkept. He was riddled with acne. Um, But Annie still went out with him. Um, They actually went to a fair. They got ice cream. Uh, She stayed for as long as she could. But she was very unnerved by the fact that Danny kept asking her about her mother. Oh, Things about, like, how did she suffer? What was it like? Things that made her extremely uncomfortable. So she eventually kind of, like, ended the date. Yeah. And she felt like she'd spent long enough and then went home, making it very clear she did not want to see him again. Hmm. So a couple days later, the sisters were hanging out talking about their mom. And they began telling stories and reminiscing about the good times with her. And all of a sudden, they started hearing tapping on the walls. And obviously... Being a 15-year-old, and 8-year-old girl, they're like, oh my god, our seance worked. Oh. So they sat together in Annie's room listening to the tapping, and they were really excited. Um, but the tapping ended up becoming consistent and only occurred when they were home alone and their dad was out working. Or would occur, like, late at night when the dad was asleep. It got so loud to the point where, like, the girls couldn't sleep at night because the tapping was so consistent and so loud. Yeah. Um, And then after that, Danny started doing what Danny does best, moving furniture in the house. So Danny would just start taking things. Um, For example, like the girls would put something on a counter and within five minutes it would move or be gone. That what? That's crazy. And obviously they did what 
I had said and like you would do, which they thought it was a ghost. They still thought this was the spirit of their mother or whatever, that they had opened some kind of a doorway and something was really messing with them. And obviously they told their father because they were starting to get really concerned at the amount of activity that was happening. Um, and obviously their father said that they were just dealing with their grief of the losing of their mother, that it's nothing. So eventually, uh, one night when the girls were home alone, the tapping began again, but this time it came from below them. Ooh. And so the girls went down to the basement to investigate. And <laughs> as you do, but <laughs> supposedly they found uh, written on the wall, I'm in your room, come find me. No. So obviously the girls left. They ran to a neighbor's house who let them stay until their dad came home from work. And uh, obviously Brian was still kind of struggling at this time with like, maybe this is how my girls are acting out because of grief. Yeah. Um, so obviously that was in 1986, January, 1987. Um, it had now been two weeks from the basement incident and the knocking actually stopped. But again, the knocking started again. And this time... They made their way upstairs because it sounded something like it was coming from Annie's bedroom. Ooh. And this time they saw another message on the wall that said, I'm back. Find me if you can. Oh, my God. So what ended up happening is they eventually found out that it was Danny. How did they find him? Like, did he pop out? Like, hey. <laughs> it's me. Uh, what ended up happening is, so I'm in your room. Come find me. The girls left without hesitation. Mm-hmm. So several weeks later... These things kept happening. They got the, I'm back, come find me. Again, Brian was still struggling, thinking it was the girls still acting up. And when this happened, they called again. What ended up happening is one night, Brian entered the house and he noticed there had been like more things moved around. And it became apparent that somebody had actually been inside the house when Brian had gone to the neighbor's house to go pick up the girls. Like, thank God for this neighbor, right? Yeah, really. To be really understanding, you now have two girls who showed up twice saying someone's in the house. So what ended up happening is Brian would go into Annie's room and there was another message on the wall that said, marry me. Oh. And at that point, Brian turned around to find <gasps> Danny dressed in the clothing of Brian's dead wife. What? Oh. And then no. supposedly it says he was wearing makeup, a dress, blonde wig, and his hand was a hat- he had a hatchet. Um, like in the haunted mansion supposedly yeah <laughs> obviously at this point he was arrested and charged he was put in a juve he was released from a juvenile facility in october so he wasn't even there for that long so that was in january of 87 he was released in october of 87 for all of this what ended up happening is that police later found him in a hidden crawl space uh, behind a cupboard which was built in the wall of annie andrew's bedroom so there's your crawl space right there Never a good idea. But that's not the end of it. That's the end of the boy in the walls. Uh, Obviously, Danny would later go on to uh, commit murder. I mean, once you're a boy in the wall, isn't that just where it obviously escalates to? He he broke into a house. He broke into the house of Andrew Gustafson and Priscilla Gustafson. And Priscilla was pregnant at the time. And they had two children, William and Abigail. And what ended up happening is Danny did what Danny does, which is he broke into the house when Andrew wasn't there and he killed Priscilla. Um, She was shot twice and also killed the two children, William and Abigail. And supposedly the, according to court documents, police found William's trigger warning. He had shot the wife, but he drowned the kid. (gasps) So police found William's body face down in the tub in the upstairs bathroom. Police found Abigail's body face down in the tub in the downstairs bathroom. Um, it also turns out that Abigail also suffered blunt trauma to the head and compression to the neck. So not only did he drown her, he choked her and bludgeoned her. What? What? I'm sorry. Why was this a two-tub event? I guess he had to separate them. But, like, where are you holding the other one while you're... Uh, I mean, unless you're being quiet. Because, I mean, you think about how many times, like, in true crime stories, like, they'll go from room to room. Yeah. And, I mean, if you're trying to choke somebody, like, he very well could have knocked abigail out yeah before getting to william it doesn't stay in the order in which they were killed yeah but uh obviously police and the husband was the one that found them oh my god and this was december 1st 1987 so literally three months after getting out of yeah like two months center 
he committed murder. <laughs> wow. And he was only in juvenile facility for like nine months. Not like even. Months. Yeah. Yeah. So Andrew Gustafson was the one who discovered his wife's deceased body. And then the kids, um, police soon identified LaPlante as the killer. And then a manhunt ensued to try and find him. And in 1988, he was sent to prison with three life sentences for the murder of the Gustafson family. Now, in 2017, LaPlante applied for reduced sentence. But in 2017 was the first time supposedly he has even shown any sign of remorse for his actions. Oh, my God. Wow. That's crazy. Was that like 30 years? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. And to make things in- more interesting, he was 16 at the time that he went into the juvenile detention facility. And 10 months, you were right. So he was there from January to October 1987. He turned 17 May 16th. 1987 so he spent his 17th birthday in a juvenile detention center well maybe he shouldn't have been creepy and he wouldn't have been there um and the other interesting thing is um so during this whole shindig before he committed murder he was charged with four counts of kidnapping four counts of armed assault in a dwelling breaking and entering into dwelling larceny of more than a hundred dollars malicious destruction of property so on december 11th 1987 he was actually due to appear in middlesex superior court oh wow but instead, he just decided to uh, break into a neighbor's house, steal two handguns, and then go commit murder December 1st. <laughs> and in case you're curious, um, when Priscilla died, she was 33 years old. Her husband was 34-year-old Andrew, and Abigail was only seven years old. Oh, my god! Which is probably why it was harder for him to take her down because she was older, and William was five. Oh, that's horrible. And the house was already decorated like Christmas. Oh, stop it, Liz. (laughs) And this was during the day. What? Because Andrew came back around five in the afternoon after work. Oh, from work. Yeah. And uh, found the house very quiet. And then there was blood everywhere. Oh, that's crazy. So uh, they were able to find him the next day, by the way. Where did they find him? Ironically, they found him December 2nd at the Townsend Public Library. He, uh, what was he reading up on he was questioned and he denied any involvement shocking uh he told police that he'd been home most of the day watching tv and then attended his six-year-old niece's birthday party oh shut up so yeah um what ended up happening and how they ended up catching him fully because obviously they're like okay sure you <laughs> you're at the yep. library shocking and you used to break into people's homes hmm. now you're watching tv and you're going to your six-year-old niece's birthday party mm, sus uh <laughs> What they ended up doing is they ended up going to the little plant home to question him further. Um, he was apparently standing on the porch and he just took off into the woods. Oh, yeah. And so obviously they searched the home. They found a number of pieces of evidence that could incriminate him. And then they obviously searched the woods, separating the Gustafson and the little plant homes because they were neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and found a shirt belonging to Daniel in a wet pair of gloves, uh, which appeared to be the gloves he used to drown Abigail and William. But obviously, at that point, Daniel had taken off again. So obviously, another manhunt ensued. Um, He abducted a woman at gunpoint at that point, forced her to drive around in her Volkswagen van. Uh, Obviously, the woman managed to escape. She fled on foot. She told the police what had happened to her. And obviously, the make and model of the van that Daniel was now driving. He was eventually apprehended at 6 or 6.30 on December 3rd. After hiding in a dumpster at a, yumber, a lumber yard oh my God. in Iyer, Massachusetts, 11 miles from Townsend. Wow. And apparently when he was arrested, he was laughing hysterically. Oh, that's, ugh, that's so creepy. Yeah, he still, he still tries to maintain, like, not maintain his innocence, obviously. He just really wants a reduced sentence. He was really pulling for eligibility of parole in 2017 instead of 2032. I don't think and he should get it at all. Obviously the family of Priscilla Gustafson and the prosecution were firmly against his resentencing. Yeah. Apparently that's when Daniel apologized to the Gustafson family. Oh yeah. Okay. Just because you don't want to be there anymore. In case you're curious, the judge was not buying it and he (laughs) concluded with Mr. LaPlante has not been rehabilitated. She resentenced Daniel to original sentence and he would have the opportunity for parole after 45 years in 2032. How old would he be then? Um, in 2032? Yeah, 2032. So that's 45 years, and he was 17? He was born in 1970. 
So he'd be 62. Mm-hmm. For something he committed when he was 16. Yeah. 17. He committed the murder at 17 because he was 16 when he went into the juvenile detention facility. Um, and in case you're curious, I got all of my information from wbur.org, grunge.com, ranker.com, talkmurderwithme.com. I also listened to my favorite murder. Uh, this is mentioned in episode 137. Grunge.com. JoeTurnerBooks.com and MamaMia.com. Mamma Mia. Mamma Mia. Here we go we again. again. And I also watched a couple of YouTube videos, including, because um, <laughs> this is what I did, the disturbing case of Daniel LaPlante on the crime reel. But you can also find court records on law.justia.com of Commonwealth versus Daniel LaPlante. It's wild. It's wild. He, it's yeah, that's the, that's the case of the boy in the walls. It's so crazy how in like two months he went from I'm moving shit, I'm dressing up in your dead wife's clothes to I'm going to kill the next door neighbor because. Well, and that's the thing. Like he showed up with a hatchet. Was he planning on killing Annie too? Because it was the father that found him. Was he, was he trying to be like, yeah, like your mom is, I don't know. Yeah. I felt like I was going to change it up a little bit and do like a kind of a true crime instead of myth, 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 mythology monsters or history. No, I like it. I mean, we've already done people things, so. Yeah, and I was like, this is a legit thing of, like, a boy in the walls who's an actual person who's moving shit around and. Yeah, no, that's creepy. Yeah, it's real creepy. That's like the story about the girl who moved into the apartment and moved her mirror because she said she felt like somebody was in her room. And it turns out when she moved the mirror, there was, like, a hole in the wall. Is that, like, the thing on TikTok? Yeah. Where there was a, yeah, it was in her, uh her bathroom there was like a um she was getting air coming through and she couldn't get her bathroom warm and then she but at the one mirror. point she said that she found like something moved or missing oh really um but she went through the wall and it was another apartment yeah which is straight out of like fucking candy man oh yeah no thank you yeah it turned out to be like a whole other apartment yeah unfinished and unoccupied but there was like stuff around it so, like, signs of life, including, like, a water bottle? Yeah, like, there might have been people working on it. I don't know. It was creepy. Then there was the other one about the the girls that were at the Airbnb. Oh, God, yeah. And behind the mirror, there were stairs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I was really hoping that they were going to go up and, like, show you what the upstairs looked like. Instead, they played some stupid game where there was, like, a the, one of the girls sat on the steps and was trying to scare the other ones. Meanwhile, there's my one friend who's like... <laughs> look at my panic room. Everybody wants to see what my panic room is. And they open the door and it's just somebody singing panic at the disco. Ah, that's funny. This is my panic room. <laughs> so yeah. All right. So on that note, next episode, <laughs> we'll be talking about season four, episode 12. Miss, do you know what that episode is? Wait, I do. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Chris. Yeah, you can. Chris Angel is a douchebag. Nailed it. <laughs> uh, so next episode, we'll be talking about Chris Angel is a douchebag and magic. Because he is. Oh, wait, huh? Huh? I kind of like Chris Angel. Do you? Do you think he can float? Uh, sometimes. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, but in the meantime, obviously, you can send us a DM, send us an email, uh, find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. And uh, listen to us next time. Don't forget to share us with your friends, like us. And uh, if you can, leave a review. We would appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Happy 4th of July. Happy 4th. Bye. Bye. You've been listening to Balls, a supernatural podcast with Lizzie and Missy. If you want more, follow on Twitter and Instagram at SPNBallsPod or email SPNBallsPod at gmail.com. Be sure to subscribe and follow Balls on your favorite streaming service.